All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. Before we get cracking and welcome our guests, Jason Thomas from Fly Racing and James Burfield, the boss at MX Vice, we'd like to thank our sponsor for this one in Fly Racing. Obviously, they're excited to celebrate their 25th anniversary in 2023, led by the revolutionary Formula S helmet featuring Rion technology, Fly Racing continues to push the boundary of product performance and design. We would like to thank our loyal dealers and customers for 25 incredible years and look forward to the next 25 and beyond. Check out the new line at flyracing.com, at Fly Racing USA on social media, and all our athletes at Worldwide Motocross and off-road events in 2023, including the upcoming Motocross of Nations. All right, firstly, welcome, JT. Thanks again for joining us. It's been a while because you've been absolutely flat out, mate. 31 rounds. You finally got through it, mate. How was it all? And I guess a little bit of a small break from racing before you straight back at France at the end, right across the nation. So how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. I uh, I get a weekend at home. Uh, but to be fair, it's it's been a whirlwind. Um, you know, for anybody who goes to every race all year long, it you know, regardless of what you do there, you could just be sitting in a chair, you know, in, in the air conditioning all weekend. It, it's just a lot. You know, the traveling and the airports and hotels and all that stuff catches up with you. So I will say it's been amazing. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but everybody uh, needs a break. And I'm looking forward to it. You know, there's one more big, big trip here to Motocross Nations, which, of course, we'll talk about. But I, I think everybody to a man is looking forward to uh, to being home for a couple of months after these uh, this last race is over. Absolutely, mate. Really grateful for you taking the time again and giving us the time on MX Vice. And James, how are you, mate? Thanks again for joining us. It's been a big week of podcasts, mate. We've got a couple more coming up today. So how's life, mate? Yeah, good. Life's good. Um, I, you know, I can kind of, I can, I can relate to JT a little bit, but not, not, you know, relate to him the whole, whole, whole hog of what he's done this year, which is, I think it's just a, an incredible innings, you know, like from start to finish JT, I have no idea how you done it. I mean, I moan about going to a couple of MXGP rounds, but holy shit. Um, you, you're making me look so bad. <laughs> no, don't be, don't be envious, man. It's, uh, Everybody has their own cross to bear. I just, yeah, I think I, I overdo it a bit. Anybody that I talk to about it is like, are you some sort of like, <laughs> do you have something mentally wrong with your brain? Um, but I, I love it. You know, like I, I want to be there. I want to be involved. I don't know how to, you know, write code. I, I can't launch a space shuttle like Elon Musk. So I got to figure out somewhere to be useful and uh, motorcycle racing is it, I guess. Yeah, mate, definitely a good piece of advice that stuck with us, James, was how JT said, I'm not going to turn down an opportunity because you never know where it's going to lead and, you know, you don't know when they're going to come along again, mate. So that was definitely the case for you and it's certainly bearing fruit, all the amazing things you're achieving. And, I mean, being a part of the SMX was really cool. Obviously, you stepped up well. There were so much more commitments associated with that for you, mate. So how was that? Definitely ended the season with a bang. Lots of questions about it heading in. I think they answered those questions pretty well. It came out very successfully, even though there was a few things to do with bikes set up on the tracks. But that's what it's all about, isn't it? Being challenged. And there were some great battles in there. The point structure played out pretty well all the way till the end. So, And it's just cool having all that money for the riders and everyone being on the same page with a lot of things too, isn't it, mate? Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, I go back to last October, which is the first time I really saw the details and we had the big press conference at the Coliseum in Los Angeles. And I heard rumblings about, you know, this thing. You, you heard that this was going to happen. There were going to be extra races. But you didn't really know what it was going to be. And then when they rolled it out uh, in totality, you know, there were, I think, more questions than answers. You know, there are different points format, different venues than we'd ever been to. Uh, just everything about it. The race format was different. Uh, escalating points. This huge payout. 
you know, would people care? Would they treat it like a real world championship? Would, you know, like there was just so much uncertainty and having been at all the rounds and having been really on the inside of these things, right. I'm privy to all these meetings and planning and how to tell the story and present this to not only the public, but also the hardcore fans and everybody, the industry. I, I give them a ton of credit. Um, They went from simply an idea and we have to remember, this was new to them too, right? That nobody had ever done anything like this. They they took a lot of risk of being willing to change formats and change everything uh, with new concepts. And was it perfect? No, it wasn't. Um, there were things that I think they learned that would be better for 2024 and beyond. But for a first shot at it, it was a pretty damn great thing. Uh, the riders made a ton of money. The turnout for all the races was great. And the finale at the LA Coliseum was nothing short of spectacular. It was really, really well done. Uh, There were a ton of fans, just the atmosphere, the history inside that building. uh, They just nailed it. They knocked it out of the park. um, And I I was just very, very proud to play a small part in it. Um, I don't think I deserve to be there or do the things that I get to do, but I'm damn sure not going to say no, as you mentioned before. And uh, I'm just going to try to soak up every minute until they tell me to stop coming. Absolutely, mate. And how was it for you, James? You enjoyed it? Yeah, yeah, awesome. I think I think for me, like, you know, from the outside, um, sort of and looking in, uh, I think this year, um, you know, with the obviously we we we've known about the series and what's gonna happen and and you're not quite sure with what's going on and you hear about WSX and obviously MXGP, but I, I got I, I gotta be honest here and I, I definitely believe uh, the American industry and, and the series NSMX just really, really elevated this year um to the point where actually it, it's it's kind of it is well you can only you can you can see by the amount of riders now which have just all eyes uh you know that meme where there's the the, the guy and the girlfriend who's walking down the road and the world walks past it's like it reminds me of like mxgp and wsx and like uh the smx has just walked past you know and everybody's like looking back and i think that's that's what it is for me this year like, like I, I genuinely believe that yeah it was at the top anyway but I just feel like they're pulling away, especially with the extra money. I think for, for me, that is what, a, you know, what a story to when you start to list all the, um, you know, payouts for the riders. I mean, freaking hell. I mean, that some of those payments for some of those riders, that's changing lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're talking about Hunter Lawrence and, you know, him missing out on that money. Really sad end for him, but pretty amazing seeing Deegan there, mate. The celebrations were absolutely going off and Jet finalising it. Obviously, there was a lot of pressure and criticism on him coming in with the Ken Roxon incident, which created some nice buzz in the press conference and everything, and Kenny with the butt patch. But having Roxon there pushing him all the way as well as Sexton, it made for some really great racing, mate. And Kenny gave that a massive boost. And how impressive was he seeing him in person? Obviously, you see him pop the quad after being reluctant to because he knew that he had to because Jet was pushing him as hard as he could. So you're definitely treated to some great racing, mate. That's for sure, JT. Yeah, there was there were so many storylines, you know, across three rounds. Uh, yeah, they were every, everywhere. And, uh, you know, the the thing you mentioned was crazy. And I, I don't think everybody knows about this. So it's definitely worth talking about. But like Hunter Lawrence came in, uh, he was your points leader. He was, you know, set to try to go win the whole thing. Well, that that's a five hundred thousand dollar win right to win that championship now nothing's certain that's why they dropped the gates but i think hunter has been the best rider all year long uh he won in chicago the weekend before and he comes in and he has this 
pinched nerve thing going on in his back and he's unable to race that difference from had he won right and that's assuming a lot i I understand but if you look at the results like deegan's fifth and a second wasn't anything unbeatable right like hunter is typically better than a 5-2 score on a weekend uh that was a four hundred eighty four thousand dollar drop in pay payout he went from 500k to 16k in the points now he did make good money he won uh chicago he won 50 grand and he he didn't make very much at uh charlotte he got zero at um in LA. Uh, so he did make some money. Don't get me wrong, but, but just the points alone, it was $484,000. He went uh, from first to ninth uh, in the points that night because of the triple point scoring. So brutal insult to injury. I mean, literally kicking a man while he's down type stuff uh, for Hunter. But then on the, you know, the conversely Hayden Deegan, uh, yeah, made a ton of money. He made uh, an extra $350,000 um that night by having a great night and getting the job done so yeah the uh the fortunes and uh i guess loss of loss of fortune that went on in la was was pretty crazy and the the 450 class was even more so just you know the racing is is enough for me i can i can find enough entertainment and just just the competition side of it when you start throwing around millions of dollars as well um yeah the the drama gets pretty wild yeah, absolutely, mate. And I guess you look at it, James, we were speaking about Brent Van Donick's post about the money side of it the other day. So just, I don't know if JT saw that, but just fill him in on that one too, James. Well, it's, I, the one thing that's been kind of dominating my newsfeed at the moment is uh, Jorge Prado holding his £5,000 check, uh, or €5,000 check, I should say, um, from the weekend at MXGP Awards. <laughs> and then you got the, uh, you know, all the payouts from SMX. And it's just like, there is no comparison and i think it does actually put some pressure on um uh, in front and mxgp to try and bring back some prize money or try and try and do something now i think the gulf now between america and um and europe is is just just way too much now because before it was bad enough when riders weren't getting paid for prize money the fact that smx have just got this like record payout um i, I, I can imagine jt there's got to be quite a few legends from uh from the from the eighties and nineties, which are looking at some of these figures and just thinking, I'd I'd quite fancy that in my time. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be legends. I mean, I same for me, right? Yeah. I raced this this series for sixteen years, and and I I have nothing to complain about, but it sure does make you envious of the opportunity, right? Um, some of these guys made a ton of money. Uh, you know, I think a guy like Phil Nicoletti, who in our careers have taken a very similar trajectory, long span of racing, uh, bounced around, but always kind of just one of the guys in the pack there. I think he made $45,000 on Saturday night. So, which is awesome. I love it for those guys, right? My, my time has come and gone. Uh, but yeah, the, the opportunity, if you could just step up and, and get things done on a certain night was, was big. And, and I'll give you another example. Uh, like Cooper Webb was able to move up and he made an extra $100,000. Uh, just on just on Saturday, right? And Cooper is not a, a guy that we we know he doesn't necessarily need the money, but I think it just more speaks to the opportunity that was on the table. You didn't have to dominate three races if you just hung in there and then put your best foot forward at the finale with triple points. Man, you could make a lot of money just in uh, in twenty four hours. I think from the uh, from the outside, the success of uh, Supercross this year has just been, uh, you, you know, like I say, I'm sure there's things that they could, that, that they've learned from, and there are things that they can improve on for for 24. But you know, from the outside, from from Europe looking in, 
uh, we're kind of all envious over here. Yeah, it's um, you know what? It's interesting because it wasn't uh, it wasn't like that MX Sports and Fell just said, you know what? We're just going to start writing huge checks, right? Um, it, it was really in thanks to uh, NBC Universal, which owns is the parent company for Peacock, right? That's really where this money came from. They they saw value in having this live sport being inter- you know available all year long. Um, case in point, you know. We, in America, we've been dealing with this actors and writer strike and yeah. these broadcast companies, regardless of who it is, are all vulnerable to that, right? If you don't have content, guess what? People aren't going to pay you to have a subscription to these streaming channels. Well, live sports cuts out that chance of not having content. Um, and, and Peacock saw that, right? So they ensured by writing a big check that that wasn't going to be an issue. They were going to have this fantastic uh, you know, broadcast 31 weekends a year, they were going to have great entertainment to show people regardless of how that all turned out. And, and that strike is still ongoing, at least from the actor side anyway. So you think about what that's going to do to the content side for America over the next six months like that. They've been on strike for months now, right? There's, so all those projects came to a halt. Well, that's going to bear fruit at some point negatively where there's not going to be you know, there's a big hole in the schedule, like where all these things should have been landing and been able to make public to America. Those are not going to be available because they got pushed back two, three, four months in production time. So things like Monster Energy Supercross, things like Pro Motocross, things like SMX provides an outlet. It's it's a, a big insurance policy to these companies. And it doesn't matter if it's Supercross, it could be uh, rugby, it could be, you know, Premier League, any of those things are a great insurance policy against these things that, you know, could possibly get, get pushed back a really, really long time. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts to it. Uh, in the end, you know, that five-year deal that Peacock signed with this series is where the money came from. That, that was the catalyst for SMX and that's how it came true. So when I look at it and say, should Infront step up and pay a lot of money, I understand. Okay. Saying yes is the easy answer, but it's, it's not as easy as just write a check, right? Like this wasn't money that fell just decided to give away out of the goodness of their heart. They needed someone to step in and provide those assets and those resources to be able to do it. So it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I, I just wanted to say that because I, I heard, I hear all the time, the narrative of like, they only did it because of world supercross. That's not true. Going back. I mean, I've seen internal documents of things being passed around during 2020. Um, Peacock saw then that this sport could keep going even during COVID, right? And they couldn't get movies made. They couldn't get television shows made. They couldn't get anything made because no one was allowed to be there to work. Supercross kept going. We had seven rounds. Yeah, there were no fans, but guess what? You think, you think that people watching at home care about the fans? No, of course they don't. They want to watch thrilling racing in a stadium. They want to watch the sport. So that's where it really started was, we need something COVID proof, whatever proof, strike proof, anything proof that we can rely on. And that's really where the, the revenue that we're seeing in this series, that that was the genesis of it, is really as crazy as it sounds, in my opinion, COVID and the scare that it brought to all of these people, it was the genesis for what we're seeing now with SMX. That's the only thing we're thankful for COVID for. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, if there was anything good, which I don't know, that I guess that's the, that counts. Um, 
it, it prompted people to think outside the box about where premium entertainment would come from. So, so be it. I, I don't think that's worth the, worth uh, the costs, you know, the deaths and all the things, forget about me being really angry about wearing a mask all the time. Um, but at least, at least some, there was some sort of silver lining in the end. We'll be able to look back and, and say, well, that was one good thing that came from it. No, that's a great point. And, and, and like you say, I was privy to some conversations as well from a, a you know, advertising video point of view. And uh, it was, it was a long, it was in the works for a long time. So um, even me all the way over here, I was, I was privy to it as well. Um, one of the things, and we should, we should mention it, you know, it, in that opportunity which came out from the from the TV, which has provided them money, you know, this isn't kind of uh, um, you know knocking anybody or anything else, but, but I think just what it what it's done is just highlighted the um, the gap now between um, the money in Europe and the money in America. I think that's probably what I want to try and get across. Not really like yeah. someone's doing something wrong or anything else. It really is. Uh, you, you know, like <laughs> you have got. You know, I chat to so many riders the weekend from MXGP, and they're just like. It's, it's ridiculous, you know, what these guys are running yeah. over in America. And you can just see, like, you know, Jorge Prado must be there just thinking, well, I've got two titles in MX2, one title in MXGP. I'm 22 years old. Uh, it's about time yep. I go and get another one. Right. You know, what, you know what I will say, though? Um, at least the teams have started, have stepped up and started paying salaries and bonuses on the scale of America, because for a long time, that was not the case, right? And I think they all saw that if we want MXGP to be taken seriously and to, to be able to retain talent on this side of the, you know, the, the world, then we're going to have to pay these guys accordingly. So, you know, I, I've talked to Paul Malin about it at length. He's like, yeah, you know, if, if Geiser wins, he's a hundred K, you know, he's, he's, he's on the same pay scale that the guy in hurlings. I think hurlings really pressed the issue there because he was like, if I'm not, if you're not going to pay me, to stay here, what I, you know, what I can go get in America, then I'll leave. And so I think it forced their hand a bit, but so at least there's that, right. You can, the, the prize money and all those things, SMX obviously really reinforced that. Um, but at least for, you know, think about riders like Jeremy C were in some of these guys, um, some of the numbers I'm hearing about them getting their new contracts, at least they're getting paid well to perform. Uh, it's not perfect, but man, you go back 10 years ago and the, the contrast was really, really big. Yeah, um, and and I think the other thing as well is the, uh, the the program that Yamaha is currently putting into um, Europe at the moment is phenomenal. The support, uh, the you know the the salaries, everything as well. So you know Jeremy C or Yamaha, they've definitely stepped up, and obviously KTM have you know keen to keep their their, their big stars because they sell bikes. Yep, yeah, that and uh, something to keep your eye on there. There's going to be a lot of change, a lot of change with Yamaha, right? I don't. It's not my place to to share news they'll do that on their own time frame but that that's an interesting dynamic that whole um yamaha eu program it, it's been great way successful and and we're very thankful to be a part of it on the hut metal side uh but yeah. I, all i hear is just shake up and and lots of change over there so that'll be interesting to see how that all turns out yeah we spoke a bit about it on the last night's podcast so um yeah it's going to be uh some interesting times there and um yeah, it's going to be weird, like obviously different people under different banners and stuff like that. So we've been so used to the structure. But again, it's just different opportunities for, for new people coming in. You have to take them. Absolutely. No question. And just on SMX2, JT, before we switch the focus, just wanted to say, how was the fan engagement for you from your perspective at the venues? 
was there definitely a lot of activity and people were really getting into it? And I guess talking about the TV ratings and insights from that, did you get any information from that? Obviously, you don't have to share exact numbers, but how good was it? Was it really elevating compared to Supercross and Motocross? And do you have any access to like worldwide subscription numbers? Because it's pretty interesting reading. I think James has told us in the past about the MXGP TV and the massive amount of subscribers and interest in the Asian markets and even places like Brazil. So is there some of those trends followed on there too, mate? Yeah, the attendance, you know, in person uh, was much better than I anticipated, um, which was good to see. Right. It's you never know after a long season is the interest there. Do do are people willing to come out? Because you also have to remember it's it's football season in America. Right. So college football is a, a real thing. Right. I think most places around the world, we kind of be scratching their head at that concept. But especially you think places in the south, like the Charlotte area, um, college football is a huge draw. So for people to be willing to forego their Saturday of watching really any football and go to a, a motocross track. There's, there are people, I think that was a, a real question, right? Were they willing to do that? So that was, that was positive to see uh, streaming numbers. We don't really see, they don't make those public. So I don't know, right. It's it, they base it all off of subscriptions, but uh, they don't track it in the same way, like a Nielsen rating with, with streaming. Um, I would be curious to see what the NBC. So we were on main, like our main cable NBC, which is it, you don't have to have a subscription. You could literally buy a TV and be able to tune in with your basic antenna. We were on that on Sunday afternoon. Um, again, we're going up against American NFL, which is not an easy ask. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to see those numbers, but from all, everything I saw engagement was really, really strong. Um, I did not hear anyone, Usually you'll hear rumblings of like, yeah, you know, you just hear people griping about this, that turnout wasn't good. Ticket sales are down, whatever. I didn't hear any, any negative comments like that whatsoever. Um, which typically if you don't hear anything, that's great news. If you hear something, you know, maybe there's something up, but usually, uh, silence is, is a good thing. Well said. I was obviously focused on MXGP. Now, I guess your overall thoughts, Matt, we haven't spoken for a little while about MXGP, but obviously Prado and Adamo both getting it done, both under the Smets training program. Pretty impressive what they've done. I've got a couple of stats for you, mate. Just sort of sums up Prado. I believe he only won two overalls, but it was a lot of those weekends. He's obviously winning two out of the three races when you include the qualifying race. You know, qualifying race points, 155. He got February 130. Laps led was Prado 219. February 181. But Prado only 60 in the second motos and 159 of those laps were in the first motos. Pretty interesting stuff like qualifying race average finish, 2.38. Qualifying race average first lap position, 1.83. Just those starts. And this one probably sort of sums it up, mate. Qualifying race laps led. Prado, 136. February, 44. Hurlings, 15. So take of that what you will. Pretty interesting stuff. Sums it up how well he got through the season and did what he had to do, mate. So just your take on MXGP to finalise the season and what was your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, overall, it was uh, it was the year of Prado, right? Like, uh, to me, when I look back on and try to summarize it, you know, I think he was able to go with and battle with whoever he needed to, whether it was Jeffrey or Fevra or whoever, when, when he needed to. And the rest of the time he managed the series, which is really important. You think about a series that lasts that long over that, you know, different countries, different tracks, you're going to be sick some weekends. You're going to have, you know, every, problem is going to be thrown at you at some point over the course of that much racing and he kind of all took it in stride right I, I think he was the master of a new format right he really capitalized on the saturday races which we figured 
he would, right? It really makes sense for what his strength set is. Uh, but he did the, he, he just had so many Saturday wins that for anybody, uh, doesn't matter what your name is, uh, you know, how, or how well you did on Sundays, overcoming Prado's success on Saturday to me was the biggest factor. Uh, because there were many weekends where I, I think Febra was the best rider. There were weekends where I thought Jeffrey was the best rider, but Prado was always in the balance. But guess what? On Saturday, he made up points that those guys would have to try to claw back on Sunday. And if you consistently, consistently put yourself in a plus position on Saturday night and then they have to they have to fight back before the gate even drops on Sunday that's really really challenging it doesn't leave you any wiggle room for a mistake right because he would win on Saturday and th- those guys would wake up on Sunday knowing okay well I have to have a perfect day because I'm starting in a hole on the weekend right now um, so it just it played perfectly into Prado's hands he managed the situation from start to finish you never really saw him blink, even when Febra won five races in a row. Prado was just hanging in there, right? I think he, he came down to 80 or 90 points at one point. Prado was just like, yeah, it's okay. I'm fine. Like, you, you never saw panic or stress or anything. Uh, and he just he just did his thing. So, moving forward for him, he, he knows the roadmap now. You know, that Saturday uh, aspect really, I think, gives him such a distinct advantage, uh, just because it's, it's exactly what he's good at doing, get a start and he can go flat out for 15 minutes. And, and most people can't deal with that onslaught. Um, you know, and then he, he set up nicely for Sunday. So it'll be a a new year. It's really tough, tough to win back to back anything, um, because every race he's going to have a bullseye on his back and Jeffrey will likely be healthy and all those things. Uh, but regardless, he is now a world champion and no one can ever take it away. And, and, you know, I was one of the guys that always, I was always wondering if in the MXGP class with the best guys and such a long series and dealing with, you know, I was wondering how he could deal with the heat and deal with all these extreme conditions. There's nothing, you know, even his biggest detractors can say anymore. He accomplished the goal. He was able to beat Jeffrey when Jeffrey was there. He beat, you know, February was a multi-time champion. There's, there's really not, you know, there, there are no caveats. There are no asterisks. He's a world champion and that's enough. You know, if he never wins one again, guess what? It's enough. He, he is a, he is a world champion and he deserves it. I, I have nothing but praise to give him. Yeah. Well said, mate. And just throw it to you, James on MX2. Obviously Adamo got it done, deserving champion, you know, had a great mindset. He was sort of going through the weekends, just being really consistent and not getting too overawed by the occasion. He had that little slip up, I believe it was in Latvia when he had the red plate, but he got over that recalibrated and he had that really formidable mindset and he stayed healthy because, you know, listening to him in the press conference, he would say he didn't mind if he got passed, as long as he still got a good position. He's like, I did what I had to do, nothing more. So, and I guess the stats that I'll just quickly tell you now, mate, sort of bear that out. Obviously qualifying race points, Simon got 131, Yago 122, Adamo was back there at 115, despite those guys missing so many races. And then the laps led this one sort of struck the chord, particularly Yago 208, Simon Langenfelder, 141. Kuhn, 91. Adamo, only 66 laps led in the moto. It seems quite staggering. And qualifying race laps led. Adamo only led seven. And Yago, 73. Simon, 57. So your talk on that, James, because that was pretty interesting stuff there. Yago, another missed opportunity. And so many guys will feel that too, won't they? Yeah, I think that's the, I think that's the case. You know, Yago, um, you know, everybody was literally just had, you know, it, it, it if you were a better man at the start of the year, you were saying this is Yago's championship to lose. And unfortunately, that's exactly what, what happened. Um, but I don't want to take anything away from Adamo because you have to take your opportunities in, in 
if you rewind back to November, he he took he went to uh to Lommel with 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 Tony and panned that laps. You know, he he knew he needed to improve his sand game because that was the one thing that was lacking. That was the the the, the piece what was missing in his um in his skill set. So you know, spending like six weeks in the cold Lommel uh sand is like no one wants to be doing that but you know i think i think it was like near enough two months in the end that he just literally spent there just smashing out laps every single day so he knew what was so coming to this, this year obviously on the ktm fantastic bike we've, we've seen so many champions on it before especially with like vial coming from emx 250 where he finished like ninth overall or something and then winning the world championship the year after the bike's good we know that but you still have to perform. And, and I think what was key, like I got to know Adamo over the last seven years and um, he's just, he, he just has this winning mentality, you know, it's, it's, he knows, what he, he doesn't shy away from hard work. He knows what he needs to do. Everything else is, it plays second to him achieving his dream. And, and he's just been driven by his dream for the last seven years from, from being like a like 13 year old on a Honda 150. So, I think what was really impressive was the way that he uh, understood what he was lacking. He he made those um, he, he made those uh, amendments over the uh, over the uh, preseason. But I think what's key is you know same thing with Prado is he took the opportunities this year. He had to be he was consistent. He it, although it wasn't lots of laps led, he was always around the top three. Uh, didn't drop too many points. And really just to put the pressure on everybody else, like, you know, Benestant, when we've seen that performance of Benestant in France, we really thought at this point, Benestant's going to go on and, and, and really like matter a challenge to Tiago. Uh, on the sets, on the same weekend, Iago's, um title chances when he went down the back hill and crashed, that was the, the, the end. Up to that point, he was, we were just in awe of, of Iago. This new guy, this new Iago came out, no mistakes, uh, riding within his means. And we know what, you know, the rest is history. But I, I don't think you can take anything away from Adamo. I think he knew what he needed to do this year and he absolutely smashed it. And inconsistency is key. You know, you know, every, I've, you, know you, you hear past champions about being consistent. And I think that's what he's done. Exactly the same as what Prado done. They've they done what they needed to do. And he maintained that lead uh, really well throughout. Yeah, obviously listening and absorbing those voices in his corner like Cairoli and Smets. One thing, listening and absorbing and learning and then the next thing's doing it. So pretty impressive. I guess your thoughts on him, JT, and then we'll switch it. A little bit of motocross the nations as well, mate. How excited are you? You'll be there in the commentary booth with Paul, I believe. So how excited are you, mate? And it'll be great having you back on there for all the viewers to hear your insights worldwide, mate. And I believe Lorenzo Resta will be doing some stuff on the TV too. So you'll be pretty dynamic duo there along with Paul. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I am very impressed with uh, Andrea all year, really. Um, I did not expect him to be your MX2 world champ. I, I really didn't. But the more I, you know, learned and the more I asked around, um, it's not shocking when, you know, when you really commit and you basically tell a, a guy like, you know, Tony Caroli, like, hey, I'll, I'll do whatever, whatever is necessary, right? Like, I'll, the, the workload is going to bear results, you know, barring injury, um, there are not many people that are willing to, to go all in and, and do whatever it takes on the level of the, the best guys in the sport. So, uh, for Tony to give him praise like he did, I knew he was doing the work because those guys reserve praise like that for those that deserve it. Um, they've just seen so many riders come and go, some lazy, some that 
are not committed. They are more interested in chasing women or whatever, right? They just don't want to do what's necessary. So uh, when Tony went out of his way to talk about all the, the work that was being put in, that kind of changed my perspective on Andrea. Um, but I, I do think it sets up really interestingly for 2024. Um, I don't think it's a situation where anyone's going to go in and be unbeatable. Uh, I really felt like Yago was the rider to beat. And without injury, I still believe that to be the case. I still think he was the best rider. But for whatever reason, they just could not find a way to keep him healthy throughout a season. And and many years you look at it and say, okay, well, maybe he wasn't the best rider, right? Tom Vial and Prado and these riders like, yeah, I understand it. Like he maybe wasn't the best rider in those scenarios. But this year, I believe he was the best rider. And this was the time. And and it's I don't think this is one a year that he'll forget. Like he, I think he's going to think about this year for a really long time. There's nothing he can do about it, but I, he'll always feel like this one got away. Uh, it's just that's just part of racing. But for 2024, it's going to be interesting because you have what I feel like are the riders are going to be kind of the established crew now, the Wangenfelder and and these guys that Benestam will of course be a favorite. But then you have the youth. Uh, you know, Lucas Kunin comes to mind as a rider that could win. Every time the gate drops, if he could find a way to stay upright and and they could clean up the motorcycle problems a little bit, like he is just so talented. Uh, so to me, there's going to be a lot of parody in that class. Kaida Wolf and all these right all these guys, I could make a case for if I had to. You know, if you took you assigned me a rider and said, okay, why is this rider going to be your world champion? I could find a way to 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 convince you. Doesn't mean I I know for sure or even I believe it, but there's enough evidence uh, for so many riders. That, and that's great. That The point being, oftentimes you go into a championship and if you assign me a list of riders, I, I would probably cross most of the names out and say they can't. They just they don't have the talent or the consistency or the fitness or whatever. Uh, MX2 and, and, you know, next year, there are there are a bunch of them. And, and we have to always remember that so many of those riders are still early in their development process and the steps that they can take from September till the following February or March are drastic, right? Um, that's a, they can take huge strides over the course uh, of that period. So um, that's what I always look for is who's going to take that step. You know, can a rider like Lucas Kuhn and I always come back to him because he, his talent is seemingly endless. He could make a jump to where he comes in and just crushes everyone next year, right? He, he it's, it's when does he mature mentally? When does, uh, his mind and his racecraft and his ability to manage uh, series catch up with all of that talent that he has, uh, you know, God-given talent and work ethic he has. So those are the things that are always so interesting to me is to kind of just sit back and say, okay, what's the, what does the landscape look like? Who's taking a step? Who maybe was a little complacent this offseason and didn't really find any sense of urgency to get better. Um, so that'll be really, really fun for me to watch. But uh, yeah, it's, it's different types of racing. The, the MXGP class is so mature and these guys are men. The MX2 class by nature and by rule are kids still trying to figure it out. And, and they're still kind of wandering around towards what they're going to end up being. Like what sort of racer are they going to end up being? Uh, they're all kind of on their own time scale. Yeah, well said. Just a little bit about the nations and your schedule coming up, mate, too. James, it'll be great to see you there and just to have you there in the booth, mate, sharing the insights. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, I it, It's my favorite event of the year. Right. Um, Anaheim one is, I think has the most hype around it and is to me, the biggest networking event of the year. Um, it's just, you know, I, I think the long break 
adds to that. You know, no one's seen racing in months and months and months. So there's just so much anticipation for A1. But if you told me a race that I, I could only pick one race to go to all year, it would be Motocross of Nations. Uh, it, it just would. Um, I don't think there's any environment like it. You know, it's, it's country versus country. It's the only race of the year where riders actually are on the, all working towards the same goal. You know, even teammates at a normal race, they're, they're under the same truck. But are they working together? No, they, they're not. They'll come back and say, hey, how'd you do? Uh, good or bad? They're like, ah, okay, whatever. Like, they don't care. This race, everybody's dependent on each other. There's a sense of camaraderie that just does not exist at any other race all year long. Um, this race is enough to turn rivals and foes into, you know, true like friends that are working together to try to cooperate on a particular weekend. Um, and then you add in all, you know, the fan spectacle, like this weekend will be just anarchy. Uh, there's a video on my Instagram and, and, you know, if, if you want to go look at it on my Instagram, it's from 2016 at this very event. And, I had to video it because it was like nothing I'd ever seen. Like the, you know, Ernay's layout, it's almost like a stadium. Like it's, it's shaped into a bowl where the, where the fans are. So it creates this Coliseum type feel. And it's just like, I couldn't believe it. I was showing, I was showing some of the television production crew last weekend at the Los Angeles Coliseum. Like, Hey, this is what this, cause a lot of them are, you know, some of them work for Peacock, some of them work for, you know, the outside there, so they're, but they're all working on this project now. So they don't have any context for what this event will be. I said, here, this is what it is. And all of them, you could see their jaw just drop. They couldn't, they couldn't believe it. Like they were just like, what? Like, you know, they hear motocross nations, big deal, whatever, but that, they're like, Oh my God. So long story short, they're now sending our show producer to the event like last minute he's he booked a flight he's leaving on wednesday and i'm going to film some content with him over the course of the weekend that we're going to show but they were just like yeah we we have to we have to document this like we have to there's no way that this can't be a part of our overall story for this you know supercross motocross uh you know saga that we're telling um but yeah i was just like you i don't i don't have the vocabulary to share it correctly with them or you or anyone it's just something that if you don't have video if you can't see it in person you're you're never going to really know and that would be a shame so to your point i'm i'm over the moon to go again um i'll be there for a full week and just soaking it in and uh yeah i haven't been to europe all year this year which is not not like me so i i can't wait james you're excited mate pumped up for it yeah i think i've missed two two nations since 2005 so um uh both the both uh funny enough in italy uh, it's obviously doomed for me. Um, but let's let's there's a lot of variables for me to, to get to the nations, let's face it. So um uh I'm hoping that I, I actually clear all those variables. And also part of me is hoping that team US win because JT gets very, very scary when they don't. Um <laughs> there, was, there was a couple of nations when I went to go and talk to him. I seen him just his face turned to thunder and fuck this and fuck that. I was like, I'll see you next year. You know what? <laughs> to be to be honest, though, James, I, I'm good now because we got our win last year. I got to yep. revel in that, and I can go in and like, I don't, I truly am not. I, I'm at ease. Like, if we get fourth, if we get ninth, if we get first, I, I'm I'm okay. Like, I it was just this this continuous frustration that kept building upon itself, and it was going to reach some sort of breaking point and I, I was going to end up on, on CNN 
at some point. Like, man loses his mind in streets outside motocross race. But uh, last year, yeah, I, I, you know, I got the payoff. Um, I got to, you know, relax and, and smoke a cigarette outside the event. And uh, just kidding, I don't smoke. But you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't have all of that pent-up anger anymore just because we finally got that that kind of monkey off our back. So I'm, I'm truly just going to enjoy it. I hope our guys – do great right uh, we have a you know fly racing has a rider there in rj hampshire and i'll be there supporting him and whatever but i don't feel all that pressure to to win like i i had over the last few years we you know they they boys got the job done last year yeah i i i i hear you um and and i'm and i'm just joking because uh i i honestly though the true fi- true true fact is you'll never find someone more patriotic than uh, jt uh, uh than <laughs> it's the- true <laughs> this guy is so passionate, but uh, you know, I like, I like, I, I love Team GB. I've been all around the world supporting them even before, you know, we switched on uh, MX Vice. So you're already doing um, a strip if they get a podium, aren't you, mate? You promised yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I am going to streak all the way around the track if um, Team GP do a podium. I haven't told my wife yet that. So uh, let's do you want me to know which up. part of the track you're on so I can make sure I'm nowhere near that part of the racetrack? <laughs> 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 yeah um yeah so uh it, it, i'll probably wait till everybody goes home <laughs> there you go that's probably for the best <laughs> but no I, i'm like like jt is you know i've i've you know in t- in 2011 at st john i sort of walked out of camper um with a beer in my hand and you you kind of walk out into like a camp of people and there's like a a red white and blue goat so like they've literally sprayed a goat. There's chickens on leads. Like whatever you think you can, you can even come up with. Your mind would be blown. So like there's so many, there's so much stuff you can see on video, but the stuff you don't see on video at the nations, that's the stuff. What actually? That's the best your... stuff. Yeah, yep. <laughs> that ain't getting documented. So uh, yep. I remember St. John in 2011. You know, after a few drinks. Um, uh, some French guy thought it'd be really good to to drive a car around the campsite and was just driving through tents. So <laughs> that's the kind of chaos which goes on in nations. So be warned. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, man. I I just would encourage anyone. You know, I think I think it'll be back in the USA in in a couple of years just because of the success of that event. Um, if that's the one you have to go to, uh, by all means, make sure you go. I, I could not recommend more to go to Europe for one of these, it's just the, the atmosphere is so much different and, you know, visiting Europe in general is a great idea to give you so much perspective on the world. And you think, you know, things about history, uh, well, you'll, you'll realize you don't very quickly if you go to Europe or anywhere like that. Um, so I, I just would recommend make it a bucket list trip. I know it's probably a little late for that this year, but, um, yeah, I just know there are a lot of people listening around the world. that are probably never gotten to go just find a way, save the money, make a plan uh but you will i promise you'll thank me later yeah well it's, defi- it's definitely a bucket list one hey jt you've you got to go to one nations and france is is possibly the one which is it just has the the, the best crowd yep i think france and italy are the two right if, if you're going to pick two of them to go to the most enthusiastic fans the best engagement the best atmosphere uh, the weather's typically pretty solid in october uh those would be my two yeah yeah i agree 100 percent 
I was going to ask, it must be pretty cool AP is going to be there. He's going to be absolutely lapping it up, relishing it. You sort of think maybe like a happy Gilmore situation with beer dispensing helmets. You could just imagine him being all in on that kind of thing. And, you know, the good thing about Team USA is the great thing they're going, mate, and those guys actually want to be there. They're so all in. They want to be there representing the country, take the opportunity. So I guess how good is it for you, mate? Because there was a lot of crazy stuff going on there. The situation was in limbo for a bit. Pretty wild, mate. So your thoughts on Team USA and just how good it is they're going and maybe some predictions for us, mate. You'll be a few familiar faces for you. Having worked in the you know, the TV in America, you'll be cool to catch up with Kenny Roxon. He'll add such a great level of, you know, excitement to it alongside Vial and a couple of other guys, mate. So just your thoughts on all that. Yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. Um, you know, Team USA was a, a saga this year. I, I don't even know the right way to phrase it. Um I did an interview with uh, you know, director of AMA pro racing, Mike Pelletier today about this very thing. Um, and, you know, he, he mentioned lots of things, you know, there's so much behind the scenes that'll never see the light of day, but he just spoke of the chaos. And every time he felt good about what the team was going to be, that was turned on its head. Uh, there were just so many different things that happened, And then the ripple effects from one thing, it was like butterfly effect. One thing would happen and there were seven different outcomes because of that one thing changing um you know i hope that the people involved can be ultra transparent about it i just don't know that they can because there's so many sponsors and so much push pull amongst the teams and and lots and lots of politics involved so i don't know how much leeway they'll have to be completely honest about how things went but th- it was it was really chaotic um there were so many weekends in July and August where I think everybody left the the event going, okay, this is what team USA is going to look like. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it would be like, Nope, that person's out and we're back to square one again. And not only is that person out, they took riders X, Y, and Z with them because they're associated with that team or they decided not to go. It it was just an unbelievable undertaking this year. uh, And and really, to what Mike said on the interview today, it was it was really because of so many team changes, right? With Sexton changing teams, he was a shoe in to go, and then changing teams really caused a lot of issues there. Um, Justin Cooper was getting married. He tried to avoid the date of Motocross the Nations, and then when they announced SMX, that pushed Motocross the Nations right onto his wedding, and he couldn't change the date. So he tried to do the right thing. He wanted to go, and then by changing it, he couldn't go. So it was it was like a just an, a never ending cavalcade of change amongst the team. And uh, in the end, you know, just like they're the, the team has been talking about that. We have, we have three riders that truly want to go, uh, which is not always the case of many years. We've had riders that are reluctant, their heart's not in it. Uh, they are burnt out. They don't want to be there. And I would argue their results typically reflect that. Um, if you give, if you, are half-hearted going in, you're likely going to get a half-hearted result on the backside of it because these guys we're up against are no joke, right? These MXGP guys and MX2 riders are really, really uh, proficient at what they do. And if you don't take them seriously, or even if you do, they'll embarrass you. Um, I, I've seen it firsthand enough to, to know. I've argued with plenty of Americans about, yeah, we just need the right guys. We can smoke them. I'm like, I, I don't. I don't know that you know what you're talking about because I've been to a lot of these races and I watch it. I study it. Um, these guys are incredibly good, right? The level has, you go back, you know, 15 years, it, it's not the same dynamic anymore. The, the level of, of MXGP has risen dramatically. 
Um, and, and so every year from here on out, it's going to be a dogfight, right? USA is, is going to be in a dogfight just to make the podium every year, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, we, we have good riders. That doesn't mean we're going to do well, right? This race breeds chaos. There are a bunch of injuries on other teams though, right? So that's one weight developing aspect of this. Will Hunter Lawrence race, uh, guys like Maxime Renault are in doubt. Like there's just so much happening in the last minute here that, I'm feeling better about Team USA than I did uh, because some of these riders were having to put alternates on, like uh, Andrea Bonacorsi is going onto the team who was an alternate instead of Guadagnini, right? So um, not that that will absolutely change the results, but I think Team USA's, you know, if you're just trying to grade it in a vacuum and look at who's the best team on paper, I think USA's benefiting from these team changes. Like they're, their roster is climbing the ranks here. Um, but as we know, for anybody who's ever been to this race or watched this race, chaos will rain on Sunday. Guys will crash. Bikes will break. Uh, you know, think about 2018. T- the team, Team Netherlands should have won that race by a mile. Uh, Calvin Vlanderen takes a rock to the eye. He can't race. Otherwise, they dominate. It's not even close that weekend, and they don't win because of something silly. We never see that happen. A rider can't race because he got a rock in his eye. I don't think I've ever heard of that happening in my entire career. And that's the things that go on. Um, you think about 2009 when um, Sebastian Purcell's wheel breaks. Uh, think like all these things, like craziness goes on at this race for whatever reason, more than any other race the entire year. And I don't think it'll be any different. I think there'll be multiple lead changes throughout the day. Uh, and, and yeah, it's just going to be a wacky, wacky Sunday as it always is. Yeah, it's going to be great, mate. Obviously, with the Hunter Lawrence thing, you know, hopefully he's all right. Obviously, you know, stepping away from all that money on the line is going to be interesting with Australia being one of the favorites. Obviously, Hunter and Jet and Dean Ferris is definitely a potential winning team. Obviously, Mitch Evans couldn't go. He obviously has that really bad wrist injury, which he's suffering from. But I suppose we were talking about it before. There is that little option of maybe Jed Beaton coming over like he did with Wushugal and linking up with the HRC guys. So that might be the best bet to bring Beaton in and then you can work out who rides what from there but he's a definitely a good option because the australian supercross series starts that weekend so there'll be a lot of guys that won't be able to make it and beaton's doing motocross only so he could be a pretty cool option mate and james any final thoughts from you mate before we wrap this one up and gb mate they'll be pretty solid good team obviously we did a podcast surrounding that sort of thing but it's going to be great isn't it germany like we mentioned there's the last round of the ad this weekend and tom cock will be obviously with langenfelder and rocks and he's battling with nagel for a title there so there's a lot that can happen mate still so be interesting to see they're probably one of the ones that people aren't talking about as much and even you know spain fernandez braceras prado is excellent and you can never write off the netherlands when they've got valandra de wolf and cold even though there's no hurlings but pretty impressive stuff even though france will be going in as favorites at this point but we're still waiting to hear fully on renault so your take mate I think that's what um, you know. If you if you ask for pr- predictions now, it, it is kind of all in the air. But you don't know what's happening with Australia. You know, Itzy's had a last minute change with Bonacorsi, uh, Uh You got uh, Australia with Hunter Lawrence. We're not, we're not too sure of. Um, so it's kind of you know at at the moment. I think that uh, I I would say Netherlands are, are really well poised because you got Coldenhoff and and Lander and Coldenhoff. We've seen time and time again how he can just turn it on. Calvin's very, very, uh, been very, very consistent, raised his game this year. And Kaida Wolf as well, uh, you know, watching him last year at Nations was was insane. And uh, again, he's just one of those guys that 
a bit like Coldenoff. It when he when he hits it, you just know he can raise his game. So I think Netherlands are could be a really really good shout for um for the nations. I I genuinely believe though. Um, I think I think with Hampshire and Plesinger, um, I think USA have got a really good um shout this year. I think both of them are just going to literally. Uh, light up Erne. I think just their personalities and the way they ride is just going to be awesome to see. And, and, and you know, adding um, Christian Craig, who's obviously, you know, super passionate about his country and is going to want to give it 100%. Team GB, um, I, I said it on last night's podcast, you know, if they if they get a top 10, that'd be fantastic. If they get a podium, I mean, that'd be incredible. Uh, Mark Chamberlain for uh, Prime Minister, I think we're all going to be shouting if he, if he does get a podium. So, um, you know, Con- Conrad, it all depends on 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 you know what Conrad turns up. Um, hopefully, it's, it's it's the great Conrad, which is everybody sort of just like can't wait to see. I think Gilbert's going to be really good, and then Ben Watson. You know, Ben Watson's just come on the last couple of GPs is really coming to his own, and uh, you know he's we've got another year on beta. He's not got that whole contract thing and all that sort of over him. He's in a good place, so and you know he'll do well. Both you know with. You know, Comrade and, and Ben have both ridden Erne quite quite a few times. I think that's the other thing. You know, Australia, um, Lawrence brothers are both ridden Erne. So it's, you know, I, I think it's going to play into those hands because Erne is, is quite a, a unique track. So um, And Ferris has plenty of experience too over there, doesn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I might have watched him rip a whole shot on one of Steve Dixon's bikes, I think, one year maybe. Um, but... Uh, yeah, again, is it's just uh, you know another uh, you know Australia. You know, I think it's going to be the closest nations I think we've ever had because there isn't you know, and we haven't even mentioned Germany. I think I think I genuinely believe it's going to be very very tight this year. I think there's quite you know similar teams. Everyone's kind of got a bit of a weak link with either an injury or um, you know a selection process which isn't managed to get their best riders. So. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be one of the most exciting nations that we've had in in the last sort of 10, 15 years. Absolutely. Well said, mate. And you've got guys like Geyser and Sewer and Geo from various countries as well. Obviously, Switzerland will be pretty handy with those last two I mentioned, really good hard pack riders. And they'll be throwing some spoilers in there, mate. But I guess before we let you go, JT, any final thoughts, mate? And what's up for the weekend ahead? Probably take it a little bit easier, have a breather before the massive week next week, heading to France, mate. No, just, uh, just looking forward to being at home. Uh, this weekend, I think it's my fourth or fifth home weekend home of the calendar year. So uh, it's it's a lot, right? It's it's been a long run, and uh, then I'll yeah have a couple of days off, be ready to head to France on Monday, and um, yeah, just just blessed and thankful to uh, to be getting to do what I get to do and be on shows like this. And you know, to if you'd have told me, I, I you know I use this reference a lot, but if you'd have told me even a decade ago, forget about when I was a little a child that I would get to be on the broadcast team in the booth for motocross of nations. There's no way I would have ever believed you. Like, I just wouldn't think that's ever possible. So to be doing this for my, I don't even know third or fourth year in a row. Um, it's just, uh, I don't, I don't feel deserving of it, but again, I will take it and enjoy every single second of it until I don't, don't get to do it anymore. So can't wait for another one. Mate, you've earned it. All the hard work certainly paid off, and it's really cool. The fans love hearing what you've got to say. And just give us a quick prediction before we go, and then you follow up, James, with your final thoughts too. I suck at, uh, yeah, I suck at predictions, but um, I, I kind of echo what James said. I think I think there's a ton of parity, and some of these last-minute injury things are really adding to the parity. 
because I, I truly felt that Australia and France were the two best teams on paper. Um, I thought they had a distinct edge on paper than everyone else. But, you know, we're, we'll see what happens with uh, Renault. We'll see what happens with Hunter Lawrence. Some of these things could change that. Like, it could really take a dent in their star power on that weekend. Um, when I start to think about it, man, anything goes. Uh, there, there are so many teams that even, I think, th- those in the know would not be thinking about. Uh, teams like Germany, if Kenny goes out and has a great day, uh, and then you give Langenfelder a solid result in MX2, which he's absolutely capable of, and you give Tom Cock one good result, just one good result, they could be a dark horse in this thing. And I, I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm just saying there are teams like that that no one's thinking about that could absolutely be a factor on Sunday. And that's a great thing. That's a great thing for this event um, because for a long time it's been, well, it's either going to be the French maybe the Americans could sneak in there or team Netherlands. That's what it's always, that's what it's felt like for several years now. Um, and I don't think, you know, the Belgians have this real outside chance, right? We don't know what Liam Everts is going to look like on a, on a 450, um, but they have talent. They have talent. It's just, can they apply themselves and rise to the occasion? And that, that's true for a lot of teams. Um, there's probably more teams that are in within a range that could, that could be a player than in a very, very long time, maybe ever, that I could think about. Um, with that, That's great. I, I love not having just, you know, prohibitive favorites going in. Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, I echo uh, JT sentiments. Like, when when you think uh, some of the riders which are injured, they've only got to tweak that injury, and then they're going to be on the, you know, on the back foot. And I think those, those teams which have got that consistency of healthy riders and they've got their number one team, um, which are few and far between because usually they've lost one riders by now. I but I I, I do kind of feel I, I don't know why, I don't know why, but I feel that like the Netherlands um will put in a solid show. And I kind of you know, France are always gonna rise to the occasion, but Renault's just a you know, I'm worried about Renault. So I'm gonna go Netherlands, um US, and then France. That's my podium. Okay, I, I didn't give you my I didn't give you my actual pick, so I'll, I'll do that. Even though I am going to be way wrong, um, yeah. I'll go I'll go France just because those those jerks always find a way to pull this off um, somehow in the end. Uh, yeah. Netherlands two, and God, how do I'm so worried about Hunter? I mean, they, hmm. to me, to not have Australia on the podium is crazy because I think Jet is going to win. I'll go Australia three. I think whether Hunter races or not, Jet's gonna Jet's gonna give him such a great score that it's gonna be hard to keep him off the podium. So I'll go uh, I'll go France, Netherlands, uh, Australia. Ah, oh, mate, it'll be fascinating. So yeah, cheers again for taking the time, mate. Before we let you go, just thank Fly Racing again. Obviously excited to celebrate the 25th anniversary this year, led by the revolutionary Formula S helmet featuring Rion technology. Fly Racing continues to push the boundaries of product performance and design. I'd like to obviously thank all their dealers and customers for an incredible 25 years and look forward to the next 25 and beyond. Check out the new line at flyracing.com and at Fly Race USA on social media and all the athletes at worldwide motocross and off-road events in 2023. All right, thanks again, lads. All the best and have a great weekend. Cheers, Ed. See you guys. Thank you. Cheers, JT, for your time. See ya.